Welcome to another episode of Health Creators. This is Liv, and joining me today is Jenny Barnett, CEO of Monument Therapeutics, bringing precision medicine to neuroscience drug development. So Jenny, historically, most drugs that touch the brain are known as dirty drugs because they have this um, non-specific receptor um, activation. So what is Monument doing differently? It's a very good question. So I think the um, why most drugs have been dirty drugs uh, historically is because we didn't have a really good understanding of the brain. You know, the brain's really complicated. We can't access it directly. We can't go in and take samples in the way that we can for most other disease areas. And what that's meant is that um, although psychiatric drugs have been around for a while, they've typically been developed by accident or by, by happy coincidence. So um, the, they weren't being designed uh, specifically because of knowledge of what's wrong in the brain in a particular disorder and therefore what you might want to do to remediate that. They were, um, uh, you know, ha happening upon, so things like lithium were invented because um, we were trying to improve some other disease and we noticed that people's mood improved as a result of taking, uh, taking lithium. So it, it, over the last 10, 20 something years, we've kind of learned much more about the brain and that's enabled us to get better at trying to develop drugs rationally and trying to develop um, an understanding of what's going wrong in, in the brain of people during a psychiatric or neurological symptom and therefore what a drug might do to, to remediate that. Um, so that's kind of one uh, thing that I think the field is doing differently. And then at Monument, we're particularly interested in um, uh, finding drugs or developing drugs that treat a particular subgroup of patients. So if we think about something like depression, mm. um, there are drugs that, that treat depression. They're very commonly used, um, uh, SSRIs, for example, but not. Um, but those drugs are quite nonspecific in their effects. And if you go to your doctor and you get prescribed an SSRI, you've got something like a one-third chance that yeah. it will improve your symptoms, but maybe a one-third chance that it'll worsen them or you'll get bad side effects and, you know, one-third of people it won't do anything at all. So what we're trying to do at Monument really is find those subgroups of people up front that we think have something in common in their brain and then find a drug that we know acts on that common abnormality put together a biomarker that detects the patients and a drug that treats those patients and develop those um, in parallel as we move towards clinical trials. Interesting. So it's almost like looking at groups that are treatment resistant for existing standards of care and then like taking those specific groups and de developing medications for them. Yeah, that would be one way that, uh, that um, you could go about doing it. We're, we're actually looking particularly in areas where there aren't any standards of care. So we have a program in, uh, designed to treat cognitive impairment in schizophrenia, for example, mm -hmm. which is a huge problem. So about 1% of people have schizophrenia. Most of those um, can be treated reasonably well with respect to their hallucinations and delusions. So kind of these really strong symptoms that, that um, get you a diagnosis of schizophrenia. Um, but then most of those people, even when the drugs are keeping those symptoms under control, are having real problems with things like memory, mm. attention, planning, decision making. So much so that, um, you know, you might not be able to finish an education or hold down a job or hold down relationships. As a result of the medication you have to take. 
Um, not necessarily as a result of the medication, probably as part of the disease, actually. Um, but lots of people have tried to develop drugs for this. And what we've seen typically is um, that uh, in the early stages of clinical trials, these drugs look like they're going to work. And then in the late stages of trials where you work with big populations, um, you, you find, you know, what looks like a good drug seems to still be helping some people but not all the people. Some other people are getting bad side effects from it or even it's worsening their cognitive function. So the way that we're approaching this is we're trying to um, find a biomarker. We have found a biomarker that we think tells us um, for a particular mechanism of action whether someone is going to benefit or get worse. So the vision here is kind of, you know, ultimately, if we bring these things to market, your doctor's going to be able to say, okay, we've got a drug that might work. Now let's do a test and test whether we think uh, it's going to work for you. Yeah. Um, you know, so we do a, a, a digital test. It takes a few minutes. Maybe we do it on your mobile phone or on the doctor's um, computer. And he can say, right, Liv, I think, I think this drug's got a good chance of helping you. Let's, let's you know, give it a try. Um, so that's where we'd like to move to in general with, with psychiatry and neurology, I guess, is moving away from... Uh -oh trial and error prescribing, yeah, which of all the antidepressants should your doctor give you first, to something that gives um, some ability to predict what an individual patient is going to benefit from. And do you think that's um, a genetics, is there a genetics component to that now, or you're mainly looking at digital biomarkers? So we're looking at digital biomarkers. Um, I think there is a genetics component. Um, we know that most, you know, most psychiatric diseases have a strong heritable component, um, but it's complicated. So there isn't a single gene that controls risk for, for, for any, you know, any of the common psychiatric disorders. There's probably hundreds, if not thousands of genes that are, that are influencing your risk. Um, and that's probably because the brain's really complicated and there's loads of ways that, you know, there's loads of things that, that can go wrong um, and, and cause a similar set of symptoms. So it would be really nice if we had genetic markers because I think a, a blood test is something that people understand. Um, there's a lot of stigma in many psychiatric disorders still. So if you could test someone and know for sure that they've got this diagnosis, I think it would, you know, in some circumstances, it would provide comfort. Um, but that's, that's not, um, uh, that doesn't seem to be how the science works. So instead, we're looking to kind of do something more objective than what goes on in the moment in a doctor's office, which would be like, how are you feeling, Liv? On a scale of one to 10, how are you feeling? Mm -hmm. How has your mood been over the past six months since I saw you last? And that's a really hard thing to, yeah. you know, to remember and to be objective about, particularly if you're suffering from, uh, mm -hmm. from uh, symptoms. Um, so we're trying to do something better than that, um, both as a way of making sure we're finding the right patients and as a way ultimately of being able to um, say whether a particular drug is, is helping someone or not. Interesting. So there's like three components of this, like you're diagnosing in a way, um, and then you're stratifying different types of patients. And then um, how does the, the like the drug development side work? So we're, um, we're working with existing drugs in the first instance. So taking drugs that have been approved and been on market for things unrelated to their, their mm. brain uses. 
Um, the reason for that, well, there's a couple of reasons. One is you can access these drugs and they're available and you can, you know, yeah. do early stage um, experimentation. Um, they're really well understood in terms of their safety. Um, so if you can use a drug that's already been in, been used by hundreds and thousands of people, you, you're pretty sure that, uh, that it's going to be, you know, that it's going to be safe. So one of the major reasons why your drug might fail, um, is, is taken out of the picture. Um, and also because there's, there's loads of really good drugs out there that, um, we know from academic research or, um, again, that sort of happy, happy, happy circumstance that people have reported, actually, this drug that was developed for something completely different how, seems to have a good effect on the brain. Um, can, can we use that? So, so the process that we're doing is basically matching drugs with known effect on the brain with um, patient populations where remediating that particular uh, um, uh, you know, process, brain process might really help the patient. So it's about a, a, yeah, kind of a matching procedure. And then is the next step to develop your own medications after that? That would be great. Actually, one thing I'd be really interested in is um, we know that big pharma companies have tons of uh, drugs sitting on the shelves. So drugs that they've developed to a certain point and then either um, it didn't look so useful for the condition that they were interested in or, um, you know, maybe their commercial priorities changed or whatever, their competitor brought out a drug first. Um, so one of the, when we started Monument, our idea was, could we get some of those drugs off the shelves and back into um, development for, for, for a, um, for a CNS condition. Um, actually, it's quite hard to get drugs out of pharmaceutical companies. There are, uh, you know, the, the, there aren't so many incentives for them to do that, um, which is why we started with generics. But I, I, th I, I think I think you're you're quite right. It would be great to do this with with new drugs as well as as well as old ones. Um, uh, there's certainly there's certainly loads of unmet medical need in terms of loads of conditions that that need very some you know some some new ways of uh, trying to treat them. Yeah, I wonder if you can buy um, like phase three assets that never like went to market. Absolutely, you can. Um, yeah, you you might need deep pockets, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's certainly been done a few times. Yeah. Um, so is that the primary path you, you think um, Monument will go down in terms of the drug development side? Yeah, we are a drug development company. We're ultimately um, doing what a lot of small small companies do, which is trying to do the, a clever bit of science early on to prove that a particular drug it has got potential. Um, and then the most likely um, ending for all, for all those stories is that you end up licensing um, that to a big pharma company or working with a, a big pharmaceutical company for those phase three trials that are, you know, huge and expensive and, and, and big pharmaceutical companies know how to do that you know, mm. you know how to do that bit, that part really well. Um, so yeah, we're in many ways, we're following a really standard biotech kind of path. Um, I guess the bit that's a bit different is that we're simultaneously um, developing the, the diagnostic piece, the biomarker piece alongside the drug. And the, the idea here is that they'll end up in market together. So either it will be um, mm a drug with a companion diagnostic. So in the same way that, um, you know, ca cancer treatment has improved so much once we learned that we should develop cancer drugs with a genetic test that told you whether your, your cancer was likely to be amenable to that drug or not. So, you know, so there's that kind of approach um, or just um, 
uh, for subgroups of patients. So, so you know, there's a there's an approach where the drug will come to market, and it'll say for people with this disorder who are biomarker positive on you know our, our particular digital biomarkers. Um, so we think that's going to be an inherent part of it, both because we need that added boost to kind of get over the hump of um, efficacy that has often been the problem in clinical trials. So this problem of um, working for some of the patients or maybe even most of the patients, but but not all of them. Yeah. Um, and because ultimately we, we'd like it to be the case that if you need a new treatment for depression, your doctor has some idea which of those drugs to give you first, you know, yeah. so that you don't have to go through uh, the, the trial and error that you were mentioning earlier. And um, how did Monument get started? Um, what was the kind of idea behind this or like why, um, why specifically this company? Yeah. We were really lucky. So I was previously um, leading the scientific team in a company called Cambridge Cognition, which is a, um, a Cambridge-based company, Cambridge UK. Um, it's really a software company that develops um, uh, ways of measuring brain function non-invasively. So things that look like computer games, but that are measuring specific cognitive processes or emotional assessments or, you know, picking biomarkers out of voice, these kinds. Is that kind of like what Achilles did with ADHD? Similar, yeah. So Achilles making interventions, Cambridge Cognition is all just about, is all about measurement. Um, and their um, games, puzzles, tests, are used as the endpoints in clinical trials. So their business model is that they work with pharmaceutical companies. If you're developing a new drug for ADHD, for example, you want to demonstrate that the drug is improving attention and Cambridge Cognition, their software can, can do that for you. So yeah. they're really all about helping pharmaceutical companies and, and, and other um, therapeutics companies come to market. Um, and I led the science team there. I worked on a hundred, a couple of hundred of other people's drug development programs, and uh, um, most of which ultimately failed because mm. neuroscience has not been um, very successful in terms of getting drugs to market. And we'd often go back and look at um, why a drug failed or what happened in a particular data set and see this, this kind of heterogeneity problem that... Mm. Um, you know, within any group of patients who were enrolled into a clinical trial um, uh, for for a particular disorder, you know, some some would be doing well and some wouldn't. And so, we we ended up thinking, could we use these these biomarkers, which are, are called CANTAB, this suite of of digital mm -hmm. biomarkers, could we use them not as the endpoint to say whether a drug was working or not, but as a starting point to say whether a patient has a particular type of brain that we think the drug is going to, to act on. So this kind of started as a research project, Monument started as a research project within Cambridge Cognition. Um, we then, my, my COVID project was um, uh, raising the funding to spin it out as an independent mm. company. Um, and that's, um, that's what we've been doing for the last sort of 18 months, two years now is, um, is yeah, is a separate company. Interesting. So you took this idea of building better digital biomarkers in neuroscience and turned that into a separate company that looks specifically at how do we develop drug and companion pairs. Exactly, yeah. So we lean on the, all the development that had already happened within Cambridge Cognition on yeah. their biomarkers. And some of these have been used for like 20, 30 years. So loads of 
really great academic research telling us about what brain networks each biomarker is tapping into, you know, what um, different drugs do on that biomarker. So a lot of knowledge um, there. And that's what allows us to find these matches with, with drugs that, um, that suggest that this particular patient group that we can pick up on this particular biomarker might benefit from, from this particular drug. And how does that feed into the digital twin uh, trend that's kind of happening? Yeah, I, I don't <laughs> know a lot about that. It's a brilliant <laughs> idea, isn't it? And I think there's so much room for improvement over like traditional clinical trials where you know going into it, you've got a 50% chance that you're going to be given the placebo and, and all these yeah. kinds of, you know, the, the, the kind of patient burden things. So I think, I think it would be a wonderful thing to, um, to get involved with. We're, we're very much operating within a regular drug development pathway. So, you know, standard, um, uh, preclinical phase one, phase two, st standard drug, drug trials, um, at the moment. But I think we're starting to see some, attitude towards change and um, you know the FDA have just become much more flexible about the use of animal models which is you know a great thing if we can reduce that and I think digital twins and you know better um, uh, better use of AI in in the human part of, of the drug development process would be also a great advance and um, just taking a, a couple of steps back I wanted to learn more about your journey moving from academia into being a CEO and um, how you kind of decided to go into industry. Um, what made you change basically? Because um, from my understanding, you were doing a postdoc at, at Cambridge. That's right. Yeah, I, I did a post, I did a little bit of postdoc at Cambridge where I'd done my PhD. And then I actually went to um, Mass General Hospital in, in Boston in the States for a year. And um, so that was sort of the Harvard ecosystem. And um, it was a great experience. I absolutely loved it. But somewhere in that, my uh, brain switched over and I realized that academia wasn't, wasn't for me. Um, so when I came back from uh, America, instead of going back into an academic environment, I switched to, to Cambridge Cognition, this kind of small company, um, which uh, w was a huge change at the time and I definitely had a slight feeling that um, it, it's not so common in in the UK more common in the US I think to to move into um, industry from academia and and there's definitely a portion of people that that you know see industry as, as a second rate science which, which which is nonsense of course there's brilliant scientists working in industry um, but, but, but the incentives are different and, and industry is really a team game and academia is, can be a team game, but often you have to, um, build your own career and promote your own career, career first. That's, that, you know, that can be how you get successful. Quite, like lonely compared to, to being in a biotech startup. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, I really, I really enjoyed my time, um, as a postdoc. I think po postdoc's not a particularly lonely time because you maybe haven't had the responsibility yet of having to, um, win grants and, and manage people and, and all of that, which is what, you know, what an academic life turns into. Um, I think it was more, uh, that it just suited my personality, um, better to work in a, in a team environment and an environment where the question you were thinking about changed every day, you know, sometimes multiple times a day. Um, I think it, it, I have quite a short attention span. I really like uh, new challenges coming at you fast, 
And um, particularly when I started at Cambridge Cognition, it was very much a sort of consultancy-based role. So, uh, you know, I'd be thinking about multiple different uh, problems, uh, different areas of disease, different drugs, you know, e e each day. And that, that, that was really exciting. That fast-paced aspect is really exciting. Um, and that's what, that's what the attraction is in, in startup life as well. I sort of became an accidental CEO. I wanted the company to exist. So I ended up having to, <laughs> having to make it exist, um, in terms of monument. But, um, the things that I love about it are that, um, that there's simultaneously so much going on. And my job is, I, I, I always joke that my job is like simultaneously talking to, um, really, really, really high level experts and then talking to, people who are maybe high net worth individuals who are interested in the area but know nothing about it and then like making sure the phone bill gets paid you know <laughs> it's like this strange combination of yeah. of, uh, of um of day-to-day of, of -day activities um but yeah i really i really thrive off that so it wasn't something i thought i'd ever do um but i'm loving it yeah i definitely think there's like a more uh there's more breadth in yeah. like activities you need to do um, in a startup. Um, but what for you was the most challenging change moving from quite like a structured environment to a startup, which maybe has less structure? Yeah. So for us, it happened during COVID, which I guess was just such an odd period of life for everyone, work-wise and, and not work-wise. Um, so I didn't really have the move from sort of going to an office every day to working in my spare room, or rather I did, but that happened because of COVID. And then yeah. by the time COVID had finished, I was working in my spare room for Monument without a, you know, without a boss and without a huge set of colleagues. Um, but it was, a, but the actual um, environmental change was, was all mixed in with, uh, with, with COVID life, life changes. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I'm fine with that. I've always been um, happy working from home and happy structuring my day. And, mm. um, you know, I love being able to take the dog for a walk and mow the lawn, in, you know, if I'm having an unproductive afternoon and then, you know, finish that PowerPoint presentation in the evening or whatever. So I've always been very happy with that kind of work and life bleeding into each other. Um, I, I, I like to work that way and I like to be in charge of... Um, when I'm productive and yeah. when I'm not and all that, all that stuff. I wouldn't go back to an office life for sure. No. Well, I don't think I would. Life is long, we'll see. <laughs> and what are the next steps for Monument? So we're in a fundraising cycle at the moment. We've done about um, 18 months of largely preclinical work in our first phase one study, um, all of which has gone r incredibly well. I have great colleagues on there. That's a phase one study on the schizophrenia. That's a, that's on the other drug program, which is an anti-neuroinflammation drug. Mm. So trying to um, prevent or treat um, uh, neuroinflammation. We, we've essentially taken a anti-inflammatory drug um, that doesn't normally get into the brain. No anti-inflammatory drugs really get into the brain as far as we know. And um, worked with some very clever chemists who have reformulated it into a lipid, which allows it to cross the blood-brain barrier, which at least in mice. The, the formula of turning that into a lipid. Yeah, sure. So their, their, their formulation work is, is, all, um, is all proprietary. We have a license for that. Um, but yeah, at least in the, in the preclinical work that we've done in the last year, 
um, we're getting the drug into uh, the brain um, 20 to 50 fold higher. Um, and when it gets into the brain, it has a strong anti-inflammatory effect there. That's all in mice and, and rats. Yeah. Um, so we've done the first phase one study. Um, it looks very safe, uh, which is very good news. Um, and obviously we can't measure how much is in the brain in quite the same way as we do in animal models, but we um, can measure spinal fluid, cerebrospinal fluid, and we see that we are getting the drug in, into that. So we believe that we're going to be able to get the drug into the brain of humans um, in, this, yeah. in this lipid formulation. And um, then what will we do with that? Well, loads of interesting brain conditions turn out to have an inflammatory component. Um, What's like the, the, like the key indication? What, what's my favorite uh, inflammatory yeah. indication? So we'd love to go after Alzheimer's disease. Mm. Um, we now think that um, in the cascade of things that happens during Alzheimer's, um, inflammation in the brain either can maybe triggers that or certainly accelerates that. And if you could do um, something that slowed that down, you might be able to prevent people from developing dementia um, uh, for a long period of time. And, you know, that would be really great. Um, but doing Alzheimer's uh, clinical trials is very big and expensive. So that's 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 not the first um, yeah. place we're going to go. We're actually, um, the first patient group we're going into is uh, a group called post-operative cognitive decline. Okay. And this is essentially older adults going in for a surgery, maybe a knee replacement or a hip mm. replacement, really common elective surgeries, and coming out with a permanent cognitive impairment because they um, get inflammation around the surgical site. So they get you know, mm. an inflammatory uh, response to the surgery and that crosses into the brain. Mm. Um, and it's, it's really common actually, it's about 15% of people who go in, of older adults who go in for a, any kind of surgery are coming out with a permanent cognitive oh, really? impairment so you know a huge problem yeah. the sort of story you know granny was fine and then she had how, how do you filter out the the 15 percent that you need to actually run the study on so what we have is a biomarker that detects whether people are high risk or low risk it's basically detecting whether their brains look really resilient or not going in yeah. um, and if you have any if you have the early signs of anything else then you should probably um, either con consider not having that surgery or um, the, the goal here with the drug is we would treat it prophylactically. So, you know, you go in a week before surgery to have your ECG done and have swabs taken for COVID and all this kind of thing. Do a 15 minute biomarker test. So these a, a game based test. Um, and out of that, it would say, live your brain's absolutely fine. It's very low risk that you'd have a problem or, you know, your brain looks like if you did get um, some inflammatory uh, problem, this could really um, put you on the path to a quicker form of dementia or something like that. If so, we'd, we'd then treat you with this anti-inflammatory drug so that you have a lower chance of, of getting that brain inflammation. So that's the that's the model. We're a long way from, from uh, those patient studies. Yeah. And as I say, at the moment, we're in a fundraising period. Um, so we're, we're raising a Series A at the moment that will fund our, our next clinical trials. So most of my life yeah, at the moment that. is about that. Yeah, okay. for, for that and schizophrenia. Okay. So one, one yeah. study for, for each. Um, and those are sort of proof of mechanism studies. So showing that our biomarkers can find people who will benefit from this, this kind of drug. So kind of proving the, the biomarker and the drug together. Awesome. And 
Um, if we take it even further, uh, what would be the longer term? What would be the one impact you want to leave on the world with Monument? Uh, honestly, if I was ever involved in a drug that worked, I would be a happy person. <laughs> it's, um, you know, um, mental illness has impacted my family. I guess it's impacted almost everyone's family, Alzheimer's disease. You know, it, it, it's, it's such a big area and we've made so little progress really compared with how much we've made in things like cancer and cardiovascular disease. So yeah, if I, if I were uh, ever able to help a drug get to market, I'd be a pretty happy person.